And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Jerry Boyer. He is author of the book, The Maker vs. The Takers, what Jesus really said about social justice and economics. Jerry, it's an honor to have you on with us today. And it's uh, an honor to be with you. I'm, I'm a fan of Redeemer. <laughs> um, you you folks do great broadcasting work. Well, praise the Lord. Um, I came across you through various connections. We were friends on Facebook for a couple of years, and now and then I read a post and I think, wow, I'd love to talk to that guy sometime. And here, come to find out, you wrote this really neat book, so maybe we can talk about that to begin with. Um, I downloaded a copy of your book on Kindle, and I was starting to read it. Um, tell us about the person of Jesus. When you see Jerry, when you see Jesus in the Scriptures, um, being the economic guy that you are, what kind of a picture comes forward of him? A Galilean um, is what comes forward to me. Now, when you say the person of Jesus, let's get into that a little bit. Because Jesus is one person with two natures, um, which will not be surprising language, I think, to your audience. Um, A divine nature and a human nature. Um, And I think something has happened, a split among Christians, in that maybe a hundred years ago, you know, J. Gresham Machen wrote about this, um, there arose Christians who denied his divinity— and asserted his humanity. Um, and, and then the next thing they do is, in some sense, they, de- they deny the humanity of the Jesus that you find in the Gospels, mm. and they set out on a quest for the historical Jesus. And that quest for the historical Jesus is not the Jesus of the Gospels. The quest for the historical Jesus is, well, these Gospels, we can't rely on them, so let's find out the real mm. Jesus if he existed, right? Right. And so so that does two things, I think, which distort the Christian conversation. That is, it, those are bo- both of those things are lies. He's divine, not just human, and his humanity is most accurately portrayed, inerrantly portrayed, in the Gospel accounts. But what happens, I think, is for those of us who understand that those are lies, to some degree we have a emotional reaction to any historical Jesus conversation, and to any emphasis on his humanity. So I find that the Christian conversation about the Gospels, it it always wants to go right to, this is the second person of the Trinity, and this is the second person of the Trinity. Um, But that is not at at all intention with the fact that this is Mary's son, Joseph's foster son, David's descendant, uh, um, a, a, a boy who grew up in Nazareth, who grew in wisdom and in knowledge and in favor with God and man, who worked as a tecton, who was part of a village, who participated in an economy. And in fact, if we really believe in the doctrine of the Incarnation, we, it's not only permissible, but required that we dive deeply into the human circumstances of his life. Otherwise, we're not hermeneutically fully uh, fully believers in the incarnation. So the quest for the hist- so uh, looking at Jesus's humanity 
is, I think, required by orthodoxy, and the quest for the historical Jesus needs to be regrounded on the Bible itself. The historical Jesus is the Jesus found in the Gospels, and when we go to other sources, those are sources that are there to help us understand what's written in the Gospels, not to replace or subvert what's written in the Gospels. So the, uh, this is a book about the person of Jesus, including his human nature and his incarnational reality. Yeah, that's really neat. And, and in your book, you mentioned these physical places, these cities, and, and particularly Galilee. And then you, you, you mention later on getting towards Jerusalem, and the economics in each. Um, and Jesus Jesus spoke to his his age as well as it's a timeless word to us. Um, what kind of truth comes out as all of this gets meshed together? I would say the overwhelming pattern that we see, uh, you mentioned place, and that's good. You know, we read the Gospel accounts, and let me tell you the way I tend to read them unless I'm working hard not to. And most people I know, it's something like Jesus was in this bible sounding town, bible namey sounding town, Beth-something, and then he went to this other bible sounding town name, you know, something else, Beth, you know, usually, or something like that. <laughs> um, and we, we just like, we just skim over that. We're waiting for the main point. I'm and glad you mentioned said, that. Well, yeah. And then he said, it's like, okay, we can ignore everything before then he said. Um, and I think that's a mistake. Jesus frequently uses the vocative case and the imperative mood and the second person. I don't, not overly grammatical, let's put it this way. Hmm. Jesus frequently says, you. Well, if, if Jesus is saying you, and we don't know where he is, then we don't know what you means. Um, and therefore, we're liable to misunderstand him. So... Um, I, I just scratched the surface here. I mean, I, look, I'm not the geographical expert. Uh, I just, you know, I, I did research. So where he is, I just looked and said, well, what, what did they do in Capernaum? What did they do in Bethsaida? What did they do in Nazareth? Yeah. What did they do in Judea? What did they do in Jerusalem? What did they do in Bethany? Um, what did they do in Bethlehem? Um, uh, not that we have him preaching in Bethlehem, um, but still, you know, it's born there. It's an important city. And then, under, and then look at the gospel narrative and say, does it matter? And overwhelmingly, it seems to matter. And the most simple pattern is that when Jesus is in Galilee, which is a more decentralized entrepreneurial economy, he never has a confrontation over wealth with a wealthy person. Every single confrontation over wealth with a wealthy person, whether one-on-one -on -one or in public sermons— Sermon on the Plain versus Sermon on the Mount, every single one of those is people who are in Judea, in physical proximity to, to Jerusalem, and in social and economic proximity to the ruling class of Jerusalem. So we can't ignore that and just say that Jesus is saying something generally about wealth, when in fact his wealth message varies from place to place, as well it should, because the wealth uh, the ill-gotten wealth of, say, a chief tax collector or a money changer who's getting a favor from Herod or a rich young ruler is a very different thing from the not ill-gotten wealth of, say, a reasonably successful olive farmer mm. um, in Nazareth, who he doesn't confront. Yes, yes. Um, 
Tell us a little bit more about the ruling class. How did Jesus treat them in his words? Well, he's tough on them. <laughs> um, and, and he's not just tough on them um, about doctrine. He's tough on them about money. Um, and again, this is one of these shibboleths I find when I talk to people um, from, from our tradition that when I say that Jesus is denouncing the temple elite because of their economic exploitation, I get a little bit of, oh, no, no, he's denouncing the temple, of, uh, of, uh, the temple elite because of their work salvation. To which I say, why in the world would we play those things off against one another? Yes. Works salvation is a wonderful ideology for economic exploitation. You could, the devil could not invent a better one. Um, except maybe Marxism, but in a religious context, he, there's, there's no better way for me to pick your pocket than for me to convince you that you have to come through me to get to God oh, and yeah. conform to my traditions in order to get to God. <laughs> right. Um, and part of that's going to be, give me your credit card number. So he's tough on the religious elite. And it's really interesting, it's very clear in Luke's Gospel that they didn't kill him for bad theology, for what they saw as bad theology. They killed him. With a, he did, they didn't kill him for messing with their theology. They decided to kill him for messing with their money. He says a lot of theological things, but it's not until he tells a parable which really un- unmasks their economic exploitation, the parable of the, um, you know, what's called the parable of the, uh, of the stewards, uh, the parable of the vineyard, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. these stewards who, were, who killed the heir. Uh, it has different names. He told that parable, and then it said to me, they discerned that he was talking about them and set out to destroy him. And in Luke's gospel, you don't have any more parables after that. I mean, you have like a little mini parable. He says, you know, pay, you know, pay attention to the parable of the fig tree, but it is, he doesn't even tell the parable of the fig tree. The parables are getting clearer and clearer over the three-year ministry. And finally, when it's like, hey, oh, they finally, they like get it. He's denouncing their economic exploitation. That's when they decide to kill him. He's killed. Uh, my friend Chuck Bentley says Jesus was killed over job security. Um, they <laughs> killed him so that they, quote, would not lose their place. Same language in Greek that is used in the parable for those unjust stewards who say, we don't want to lose our place. We don't want to lose our social status. We don't want to lose our position. Position is an old English word for our job, our source of income. Mm. Um, Jesus was threatening their, their livelihood, and so they took away his life, or so they thought. Yeah. Well, today we're talking with Jerry Boyer. He's author of the book, The Maker Versus the Takers, what Jesus really said about social justice and economics. Now, Jerry, you've come through a long journey, I take it. Um, I was reading just a little bit, and in your earlier days, um, before you were a Christian, you had a completely different view of the world. Can you tell us in one or two minutes about that? Uh, yeah, when I was a teenager, I was an atheist and a Marxist, um, and the, uh, to me, those things went together. Um, and that, that that that's partly, you know, I had a father figure. My grandfather was really my father figure, mm-hmm. um, and he he didn't believe in God, and he had socialist leanings. When he passed away, his library was given to me, and I started to read it, and so it caused me to question. Um, you know, my loose affiliation with the United Methodist Church. Um, and, you know, once God fell in my mind, then, of course, it was just automatic to be in favor of abortion and, um, and in favor of government control of everything. Um, 
you know, then I went through a process of inquiry um, and read a lot. And eventually I ran across a guy named Cornelius Van Til. Oh, yeah. Um, who just, you know, had the most like penetrating critique <laughs> of, of atheism. And I realized that I had, I had allowed the atheists and the Marxists to put a searchlight, a spotlight, a critique, a culture of criticism on everything else, but they never put it on themselves. Mm. Um, and once I saw that you could put that, you should put that spotlight of criticism on themselves, then essentially their foundation just dissolves. And then it's Christ or it's nothing. Um, and, you know, it was Christ. And it's been Christ ever since. And it's it, essentially, I didn't even make a conscious decision. If God was real and existed, then socialism was just no longer a, a viable option. Socialism is essentially providence for people who don't believe in God. Mm, um, interesting. But when, you know, yeah, somebody's got to be in control. Either God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives or the state loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives. Yes. Um, and if God has a plan, if, if there's no God with a plan, or we just cannot bear to be without a plan, which is why libertarianism just, it just doesn't, you know, like based Randianism, let's say, Ayn Rand, atheism just does not work as a foundation for liberty. Eventually, gotcha. you just have to have a God in your system, and that almost always is the state. Um, so, but I was always interested in economics. Now, that's, you know, that what I just described is... Um, is uh, 40 years ago, right? So, you know, it's been a long time. And so I've inquired, you know, since then, what is Jesus's, you know, worldview? What, what does the Bible say about economics? But several years ago, I just decided to really up that level of inquiry. Um, and that's what this book came out of. Well, it's really neat. And um, if people want to get a copy of your book, before I forget, where can they go to get it? Well, all the places you can get books, right? Um, Amazon sells it. Um, Post Hill Press is the publisher. Simon & Schuster is also a distributor, so you can get it on their, their website. Um, but I think most people, most people I know get books on Amazon, and you can certainly get it there as a Kindle or um, as a uh, hard copy. <laughs> I don't know too much about Kindle. I download the book, and then I started poking around on my Kindle and thinking, okay, how do I bring this book up now? So that's that's how ignorant I am of using a Kindle, but finally I got it up, and it and it works very nicely. I was um, Kindle-resistant, too, but eventually <laughs> I, I switched over. Well, I mean, I, I went Kindle for love of my wife because she goes to sleep earlier than I do, so I can't leave the light on without interfering with her right, sleep. Right, um, right. Uh, so now I'm defaulting. To Kindle because I don't have, doesn't keep her awake. Now I want to get to a question. In um, I, th this is going so fast today, um, and that is um, we have listeners um, who are a little bit uneasy. I think I, I don't want to speak for them overly, but um, we're coming into a new time here uh, with with increased um, emphasis on socialism in in our land. Yes. Um, probably a lot more regulations. Um, I, I, for one, am concerned that we're going to lose our energy independence, and the cost of energy will um, slowly go up. I'm concerned about the um, a depression possibly coming. So can you advise, <laughs> for free, <laughs> our listeners um, how, to, how to view things. Uh, what should we do as Christians who want to glorify God 
and bring every thought captive to him and, and live out the gospel in this world. Any, any advice for us? Well, that's, boy, that's a, that's a big conversation, isn't it? Um, that's sort of, that's sort of my day job, right? Um, uh, uh, but, um, I'm concerned about the economic future. Um, I'm more concerned about it than I've been for some time. Uh, for most of my career, I've been the guy that, say, the media goes to when someone says the economy is about to collapse, the, the dollar is going to collapse, we're going to have a crisis, you know, sort of Glenn Beck stuff, right? Sure. Um, you know, the debt, it's, you know, we have debt is 80% of GDP, you know, we're going to explode. And I've been the guy, and this goes back 20, 25 years to say no, it, when I don't think we are about to explode. Mm-hmm. And we didn't. Right. We never did have the you know, we never did have a debt crisis. We never did have a dollar collapse. Um, we have we had a short credit crisis in 2008 and that was you know serious, but we didn't have those things. Um, I say that uh, to make uh, clear that I'm not inclined towards the false positives that a lot of my brethren are, but that I am actually concerned now um, with it. Like we are getting to those levels. Yes. That I'm not sure that they're sustainable. And I think it's and it's not just the Dems. Um, we had Correct. four years of an administration that was good on growth policy, but you know, essentially matched the Democrats dollar for dollar in terms of spending. Good yeah, this point. was the, the Trump administration was not a a spending control administration, um, and it was not a a hard money administration. The president politically intimidated the central bank, which caved easily. Uh, to monetary debasement, to fund these deficits. So this is a bipartisan. The reason, in my opinion, Bitcoin hit 40,000 and gold got close to 2,000 is that market participants came to realize that spending is a bipartisan consensus. We do not have a functioning anti-spending party in the United States of America. So I, I am quite concerned, and I'm hearing this concern from a lot of people. Now, going on to what do you do is tougher, right? Um, That's because we everyone gotta, has different we, circumstances. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm an advisor to financial advisors. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, they're just in general, let me just give general advice. Get your own spending under control. Have cash on hand. Um, get your debt situation sewn up. If you're in debt, get out of debt. You need freedom um, in order to deal with this situation. If you've got a source of income, Work on a backup source of income. Diversify a little bit. Uh, don't just have the one job. Maybe have a backup job or a backup business or something like that so that you can be ready for these things. Um, uh, so I think that's just like – that's basic advice that I would have given 10 years ago and did. I would I would intensify that now. Oh, that's very helpful. And um – yeah, I was going to say uh, you don't want to give too much away because you get paid for your knowledge, so we don't want to steal that no, from it's, you. No, it's not – honestly, it's not that. I'm not trying to withhold. I know um, you're not. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would give any advice that I could in order to help people. It's more yes. like it's hard to give advice to a person who I don't know. Um, it's also hard to give advice without selling product um, yes. uh, because I do consult on funds, and that's complicated because we live in a highly regulatory world. So if I go out and say, "Here's a fund I worked on, helped build, and you should, you know, go buy it," then you know, Uncle Sam and I might be crosswise. Yes. So 
it's this, this is something that the nature of it is it really has to be done by a professional in terms of like investment advice. Uh, but I can I can give the general advice that you're 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 scared. Don't be scared. Uh, you're concerned. Good. Be concerned. Now, take there are a whole lot of concrete actions you can take before you even get into. Should I buy gold? Should I not buy gold? Buy gold at what what price? Should I buy cyber currencies? All right, these are advanced questions. But are you out of debt? Is your family out of debt? That's right. These are these are the basics. You know, so let's make sure the basics are right first. Yeah. So briefly, what you say is um, get your spending under control, have some cash on hand, get your debt under control. Yes. And uh, ha- pr- consider a backup source of income, and don't be scared. And that reminds me, the other day I walked into a pizza shop with my mask on, and, you know, I got a pizza to go. And um, th- this guy's great. I love this guy. Um, and he says, I'm scared, because he knew what was coming. <laughs> yes. And I think that's a big factor right now. You've hit on something there, Jerry. People are scared. So thank you for encouraging us to don't be scared, rather trust the Lord. And I mean, really trust him because he cares for us and and we can trust him. He has us in his hands, right? And and once you're there, once you can trust the Lord, see, don't be scared doesn't mean everything's fine. No. Don't be scared means if you're resting in God, you're not wasting emotional resources on pointless worry. You're (laughs) focusing on solutions and preparation. So it's not Hakuna Matata, you know, yeah. uh, for those who watch The Lion King. It's not no worries, you know, just roll along with life. Quite to the contrary, w- worry is waste. We can't oh, afford yeah. worry. Oh, yeah. And uh, it even comes down to simple things. Uh, you mentioned having a Kindle and reading after your wife has gone to bed. And one of the blessings God gives us is sleep. It refreshes us and repairs our bodies and if we can hand our worries over to the Lord and trust him fully, we can get a better night's sleep. And that that is very healing. Um, yeah, I, that's a great point. Sleep and health in general. I was just having a conversation with my son. He's bumping up against the healthcare bureaucracy. Uh, he, had, he, had, he, had, he had trouble with something. He did, a, you know, he did a Skype with some doctor who's part of the bureaucracy. The doctor wasn't really paying attention because there aren't incentives. It's a monopoly. No, right? it's true. He wrote down the notes wrong, um, you know, like got the notes wrong, so he didn't give the right medication. And so I had a talk with my family, and I said, do not count on the healthcare system functioning for you. You need to be pre-healed. You need to get your health under control in whatever way you can um, because, you know, as as we have economic decline and more government control of healthcare, healthcare systems are going to deliver less health. So one of the biggest and best financial decisions you can make is to get your health under control. Mm. Yeah, so wise. Well, in the last uh, minute or two remaining, um, how about sharing with our listeners a web address, any information uh, where they could look you up, um, get on a mailing list, or that sort of thing? Well, I I don't do much in terms of mailing lists. I'm I'm a little bit more social media, so people can uh, grab me on Twitter or Facebook B-O-W-Y-E-R, like Bowyer. My ancestors made bows. They were Bowyers. Uh, I edit Town Hall Finance, which is the finance channel of townhall.com, and that's a good place to uh, to read what I write. Um, but um, I'm, 
I have I have, I have another web page I run called Affluent Investor. Um, dot com. So I'm pretty easy to find. You you type in Jerry Boyer B O W Y E R and you have your choice: LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, the Town Hall, and you can decide to interact however you like. Oh, that sounds good. Are you on Parler? I signed up for Parler. Uh, I'm I got, I'm finding it hard to use. Um, yes. I think that Parler, like I think that Twitter has been so good at pushing people over to t- Parler. Uh, you know, <laughs> with their draconian tactics, oh, yeah. that Parler might be a little overwhelmed with traffic. So I'll check in with Parler from time to time to see if I can actually get it to yeah. work. But I'm a, li- you know, I, w- I want to be a little bit like the disciples in the temple in the synagogue. Kick me out. <laughs> you know, I- I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna run. I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna say it. And I'm gonna say it. And I'm gonna say it. And, I, you know, I'm going to wait for you to drive me out of the temple. <laughs> That's very funny. Well, today our guest has been Jerry Boyer, and uh, he's author of the book, The Maker Versus the Takers, What Jesus Really Said About Social Justice and Economics. Uh, you can download the book onto your Kindle, and it's uh, really inexpensive to do so, but you can also get a hard copy of the book from Amazon and other sources. Jerry, my dear brother, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure and an honor. God bless you and your listeners. Thank you. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs>